Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Good morning and welcome back to another We Are Sunland Morning Briefing in partnership with the Farm Museum and Cospex Opticians. Now, just a little bit of furniture. Obviously, We Are Sunland's now live. You can head over there and take advantage of our launch offer. It's £1 for just six months of subscription. Today, I'm joined by Connor, who's Chief Norwich Reporter for The Pinkin. How are you doing? Hello, mate. Yeah, I'm not too bad. Not too bad. How, uh, probably probably a lot more fresh than you are, I'd imagine, after the last few weeks. Yeah, I would say chaotic, but I think that's probably underplaying things a little bit. But yeah, so just obviously on the game, at, at the, before we get into the game at the weekend, how's the season gone so far for, for the Canaries? Obviously, they are just three points outside the playoffs, but was that the aim, would you say, at the, the start of the season? Uh, definitely the club aim, yeah. I think the, the club aim was, was, was to try and get inside the, the top six um, and, and there was probably a degree of confidence that they could do that. They recruited perhaps in, in a slightly different way. They, they recruited more experience. They signed like Ashley Barnes and Shane Duffy and that was all geared towards giving them a little bit more uh, solidity and also know-how to, to approach the championship. And yeah, it's been a, a really funny season. Like you guys probably, it's felt about four seasons in one um, through through various aspects of it. They had a a really positive start and found themselves in in the top two pretty early on uh, and then absolutely fell off a cliff um, because of injuries partly, but there were other factors in that as well. Some tactical decisions, David Wagner, particularly after uh, the defeat of the Stadium of Light in in the reverse game, it felt like he was really on the brink. And, um, you know, actually I was watching him after his, uh, or during his post-match interview that day, and it it felt like a man that was basically waiting to be put out of his his misery. Then they went and got beat by Blackburn a week later at Carroll Road, and there was toxicity, and that really did feel like the end at that point. It still wasn't. They kept with him, and there's been a change of sporting director in the background. Stuart Webber's left, and uh, and Ben Napper, who w- was working um, as loans manager at Arsenal, has come in, and that probably bought him a little bit of time. Um, and since that point, really, they, they've they've really recovered, and and I think they've had four defeats since they beat Cardiff just before the November international break, and they've gone from you know seventeenth in the table as they were after that Blackburn game, now up to to seventh. So they're in a nice rhythm. Their home form's really improved. They're unbeaten in ten in all competitions at Carrow Road. So yeah, they're, they're they're in a good place. But I'd still say there's this uncertainty around David Wagner and the direction of travel that they're going in in the long term. But there does feel like there's been a little bit of a truce now just to try and pull together for the final 12 games. So, yeah, that was a, a real brief roadmap of the season, mm-hmm. but it's been really topsy-turvy, to be honest. It's interesting because I remember, obviously, when David Wagner went in last year, Norwich, but you know, by all means, they didn't have the best of seasons. But was that sort of a grace period, you think, that he was given, obviously, from January until the end of last season? Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think it was. And I think there was a feeling that, uh, obviously, a lot of the players weren't his players. They They maybe weren't completely aware of, of of his system and what he was trying to do with it and um, also probably a desire to see and, and this was partly why there was so much uh, resentment towards Dean Smith style of play that kind of went across what they were trying to do and there was a feeling that he could implement that and that he was the person to kind of replicate what he did at Huddersfield really in terms of high intensity high aggression and um, 
again, that hasn't really happened this season in the way that, that, that perhaps the supporters would like. So they ended last season with a run, I think, of one win in 11. They had a run this season of seven defeats in nine. And you know, as, as you guys know yourself, for a head coach, those type of runs don't really get forgotten, even when you're in the position that he is now and you've kind of rescued it a little bit. And I think it's one defeat in 10 at, at this moment in time. The defeat, uh, or it wasn't a defeat, sorry, it was a draw at Blackburn at the weekend, has kind of dragged up some of that, that that feeling that has kind of been bubbling under the service towards him that many people maybe feel he's, he's not long-term best suited to, to drive Norwich City forward. It's interesting that you say that because obviously Sunderland were in a situation with Michael Beale, obviously they've since parted ways, but it felt like he was very much in a similar sort of um, boat in terms of, um, you know, he'd, he'd win a couple of games, then as soon as he'd lose, the, all the sort of baggage in the background would, would resurface. Obviously, you do, you won't know the ins and outs of the Sunderland situation, but from a Norwich point of view, do you feel like that's something that the championship itself sort of, sort of does? Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, you, you, it feels like, and you know, I speak to a lot of opposition um, journalists and a lot of people who cover teams, and it feels like, to be honest, the vast majority of championship clubs feel like they're in crisis. I think that's that's the way it's felt at Norwich at points, and uh, I've summed it up in uh, in videos and podcasts that we've done. It feels like a club that's kind of one defeat from a crisis, and probably still feels like that now. Um, and that's kind of what it's felt like at other championship clubs. I mean, you, you mentioned Sunderland, and I said it to your fair, but after that that game at the Stadium of Light, I, you know, I, I walked away thinking, well, they're an absolute shoe in for the top six under under yeah. Tony Mowbray, and you know what's what's happened since. So it, it, it is a funny league, and I think it has a funny way um, of you know when you think you've cracked it and you think you're onto something, it just catches you with one like a surprise one on the chin. And equally, when you think that you know all hope is lost, it's got a good way of reminding you that actually it isn't. And um, I think as we said, because of how long it is, 46 games, and because you can go through so many highs and lows and, you know, even at the the, the real troughs of it, um, that doesn't necessarily dictate where you're going to finish. And equally, the, the peaks of it don't necessarily dictate where you're going to finish. So I think because of the emotions and because of obviously the climate of modern football, we, we see a lot more reactivity and probably short-termism now than we ever have. But yeah. You're right. There is definitely this kind of feeling that, that the championship at the moment is as in flux, I think, as it ever has been. And that's not aided, I think, by perhaps the parachute payments and all of these kind of different political stuff that we could bring into it. But yeah, it's it's a really funny, funny old league at the best of times, I think. Yeah, it certainly is, especially when you look at how tight, obviously, it is and the amount of teams that are vying for promotion. If I take you back to the, the obviously, the, the last meeting between the two sides, Norwich took the lead at the stadium of life, but obviously... Mm turnaround um, in the second half was obviously complete. What do you think went wrong for, for Norwich on, on that day? I, I think it kind of um, encapsulated all of the issues that they had in, in that really bad spell of run. They had yeah. uh, limited options in terms of the squad. They were without Josh Sargent um, for, for a long time for a long portion and he's obviously come back and done what he's done and I think it's evident that, that he was a, a real miss for him so again it was a factor wasn't the only factor but yeah. this was this was the point in time where I think Wagner was was trying to play a system that was too open for example they had both of their fullbacks push really high all of the time um, so they were, they were too open and got done in transition a lot but there was also a chronic lack of confidence in what they were trying to do and I think they they basically um, post Sunderland post Blackburn then they had a, a, a win at Cardiff where they came from behind and, and won and from there they they kind of went back to basics and tweaked little things they had really kind of large inquests in that November international break about what they could do yeah. because they were essentially in a position where they had to score three goals a game to to get anything out of it and 
we both know that's just not sustainable. So they, they had to change and they had to be different. And yeah, Sunderland was, was, was in the run, I think, where they were, I don't want to say they were in crisis, but certainly on the pitch, there was a, a real lack of energy plan, but but also confidence in the plan that they, they did have. And um, for Sunderland, it, it, it was probably a game too far in the quality of, of Clark and Bellingham and yeah. the, the kind of attacking players, Dan Neal as well, that, that you guys had was just too strong for Norwich on the day. And um, what they've done subsequently has made themselves a lot tougher to beat and, and probably play games on finer margins. So, um that's probably aided them, I would say, because they've got players who, who who can kind of produce moments of quality rather than probably consistent kind of passages of play and, and, and spells of dominance within games. So, yeah, I, I'd say all of those factors, really. But uh, I, I just felt looking at it that day that it was just Norwich City getting beaten yeah. by a team that was that was superior to them, if I'm completely honest. Yeah, I mean, so it's about, would you say they've, they've taken a bit more of a pragmatic approach to, to obviously how they approach games? Yeah, definitely. As I said, it's it's been a real evolution. I think they that for a period, certainly throughout January and and from that November um, spell that they had, the emphasis was then on defensively and and trying to ensure that they were a little bit more solid. And they've kind of got down a rate of conceding two goals a game, and they've halved it. So it's now about one a game since that point. So there has been real defensive improvement. And again, it's been really basic stuff that they've done. Instead of having both fullbacks push forward, they've maybe only had one and kept one back. They've played with a bit more of a of a six. So they found a little bit more balance, but then they found in kind of mid-January that as they were getting more pragmatic, they were losing some of the attacking quality that they had. So they had to find a kind of readdress that balance. And it felt like they've done that. And prior to the draw at Blackburn, they had two really good wins at Carrow Road. Um, they beat Watford 4-2 and beat Cardiff 4-1. So it does feel like they've achieved a, a better balance now between those those two states um but i think there is still this defensive vulnerability that's hard to ignore and there is still this yeah. slight over-reliance on moments of quality so um if you can as blackburn proved if you can nullify that then i think there's there's still a, a real ability to get to this Norwich city team when you look at obviously the form table as a whole un unbeaten in five is it mm -hmm. fair to say that the you well do you think they're hitting form at, at the right sort of time I, yes, I think there's there's maybe a fear that they're, they're hitting form a little bit too early um, yeah. as well. And they, they did kind of do this to an extent last season as well. They they beat Millwall, I can't remember the exact date, but it was some sometime in March and that pushed them into the top six under Wagner. That They only then won one game um, mm -hmm. for the rest of the season after that and, and that kind of um, curtailed their playoff push. So I think the fear is that they, they have gone a little bit too early and that at some point they're going to kind of come come down. These things work in waves. We know we know how it goes. They've got a striker in, in Josh Sargent who prior to the weekend was scoring a goal every 80 minutes. That's that's not a sustainable rate of, of scoring goals. And there are players who are hitting runs of, of form as well. They've lost John Rowe until April um, in, in the last couple of weeks. So I think there is maybe a fear that, um, yeah, they, they might have, gone too early but but definitely it's hard to argue that a lot of the work that they've had to do in the last few months has been kind of to get themselves into this position now they've almost got to find another gear to go again and to push mm. themselves in the top six so it, it, it is tough and I, I would say also there's been a massive difference between their home and away form as, as I said they're, they're ten, 10 unbeaten in all competitions at home they've only yeah. won four all season on their travels so there's there's a real swing between what they do at Carrow Road and what they do away from from home as well that they need to be that needs to be readdressed because you know games like Saturday there's so much pressure on them now to win at Carrow Road because they haven't been able to do it on their travels so yeah not all of the issues are completely sorted but but you're right I think they there, there is an element that actually they've they've hit form when they needed to the question mark is as it has been all season about what comes next interestingly I was looking at the 
the away form table and it's been a story of Sunderland season alone just you know how how poor they've been on the road and as you say there the, the similarities between the two sides are are, are there for, for everyone to see I, I don't think there was any point separating the two sides away from home so in theory that that should play into Norwich's hand this weekend because Sunderland have been poor on on the road this season yeah, it's, it's it's remarkably similar. And actually, you, you look at some of the teams who are in the top six hunt. I think Hull are in the top six. From yeah. I think they've taken twenty nine points on the road compared to Norwich City seventeen. Coventry as well have taken more points. West Brom have improved over the last few weeks. They were down there um, a, a couple of weeks ago. So it, 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 you know, and I mentioned this season as kind of it feels like it's been about problem solving and and, and correcting issues that they've had. Uh, and the away form has been that Achilles heel that they've not quite been able to fix at any point. And mm. so that that does make it feel like they're they're so dependent on winning at home and and they've got six home games left six away games left 12 games as you say they're going to have to go basically at a rate of, of of two points per game they probably could do it by winning all of their home games but they've got yeah. you know they've got an east anglian derby to come sunderland as well it puts so much pressure on on what you do at home if you can't correct some of that or win at home i suspect it's 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 inevitable so um yeah, I, I guess that from a Sunderland perspective, there is that that opportunity there. But as you mentioned, I think Norwich have to look at this weekend as they do all their home games, particularly after the draw against Blackburn last week as a real opportunity to to make up some ground again. Interestingly, obviously, Jonathan Rowe has been one of the, the standout performers for, for Norwich in terms of goals and, and you've touched on his absence. I mean, how big of a, a miss will, what do you think that will be this weekend? Yeah, it's it, a, a huge miss is is the honest answer. I think what he's done this season has been pretty un, unprecedented for a young player uh, at this level. He's he's got quality. He's got kind of that innate ability to 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 kind of smell a goal from 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 nowhere. And um, Norwich City's top top goal scorer as it stands. Um, but I, I would say it's is maybe his loss has been cushioned slightly by Josh Sargent's return to form and return to to playing. Although there there is still a little bit of an issue there. Norwich is still managing his fitness. Um, uh, slightly and he's got this ankle that doesn't really know how it's going to feel day to day so mm-hmm. there's a possibility he could play 90 minutes on Saturday there's a possibility he could play 60 you know that's that's yeah. kind of the difference of of where they're at and obviously the levels there are slightly different and yeah but it's, it's fair to say Norwich don't quite I mean Borja Science has shown kind of flickers in recent weeks but not yeah. not consistently um on El Hernandez is a seasoned campaigner at championship level but hasn't scored at home in nearly five years Christian Fashnacht is someone who's chipped in with goals but hasn't really contributed in open play. So, yeah, it's, it, it is them still trying to find solutions, I think, to, to certain issues. I mean, they've kind of counteracted that by by changing a little bit what they've done centrally. Marcelino Nunez has come into a deeper midfield position. That's enabled Gabriel Sara to support Josh Sargent a little bit and Ashley Barnes has dropped to the bench and that's given them a little bit more control of games. And the hope is that that obviously results in probably a less need for them to to be as explosive on the break in in, in the way that they have been with with John Rowe in the side. So yeah, it's made them a slightly different side. But I, I would say at this moment in time, they've probably not felt that absence as much as maybe Norrie Trans would have expected when he limped off against QPR a couple of weeks ago. Whether obviously they can sustain what they've done in the last couple of weeks to kind of muddle through, I guess is the is is the point of contention. Um, but it does feel like at some point that they're, they're, they are going to feel his absence perhaps a little bit more than they are at the moment. So is it fair to say that Josh Sharp, Sergeant, sorry, has, has stepped up to the mantle in, in Rose's absence? Is there anybody else who's who's performing particularly well at the minute? I, I think I think Sergeant's the one in terms of goals. Um, Nunez, I mentioned, I think, he, he again, a deeper midfield position, but he's just enabled them to do things uh, uh, slightly differently. Um, 
but Sergeant Sergeant's the the talisman really. He's the one that Norwich need to keep fit. Um, Barnes is beginning to chip in with a, a a bit better performances than perhaps we've seen at points this season as well. But that's I think largely because of what Sergeant does and and enables him to do as a partnership. So yeah, I think I think Sergeant is the one. If you can stop him, then you nullify I think a lot of Norwich City's goal threat. Um, uh, not not just because they've they've had some real threat from wide areas as well, but I think they've almost got a blueprint in terms of what Blackburn did at the weekend in terms of nullifying Norwich from an attacking perspective. They restricted Norwich and Sargent in particular to, to to very little. There was one chance really that that he had after getting played through from from Gabriel Sarah. So yeah, keep Josh Sargent quiet, and I think you've you've got a good chance of of, of getting something against Norwich City for sure. Interestingly, just sort of to take a full circle, something you said at the start about Norwich and how they recruited in the summer, brought in experience. Um, Sunderland obviously did the opposite. They, they shipped out the likes of Lyndon Gooch, Danny Bart. Um, mm-hmm. How I've been obviously Sunderland fans have been looking looking from afar at, at his season. It doesn't seem to have gone the way that I think he would have hoped, given that he, he spent the majority of his his games on the bench. What's what sort of his situation at the moment? Yeah, I, th- I think actually the the most damning kind of summation of his season has been the last couple of weeks so against Blackburn Grant Hanley who's been playing as the right-sided centre-back which is where Danny Parters has been seen at Norwich City he came off and 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 David Wagner actually opted to bring on Jakob Sorensen who's a defensive midfielder ahead of him and uh, you know there was a, a couple of weeks ago as well where Gibson missed out through injury and instead of again they had Danny Bart there kind of waiting Shane Duffy's out with an injury at the moment so they've essentially got Grant Hanley Ben Gibson and and, and Danny Bart as their three centre-backs with Ben Gibson out, he 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 went with Kenny McLean again, a central midfielder, yeah. um, a, a central defence. Sorensen started a game a few weeks ago, which you know when Hanley was was kind of struggling a little bit with a fitness issue as well. Instead of going with Danny Bart, so not really seen a huge amount of him to be completely honest. I think the last time we saw him was was in a cup replay against Bristol Rovers, and he limped off with a with a slight hamstring issue. So so you're right, it, it hasn't gone the way that anybody would have hoped, and I think there's been this kind of intrigue and mystery around Danny Bart for uh, mm. amongst Norwich fans um, all season because as you know he's been carrying around the t- tag of well this was Sunderland's player of the season last year and he, he can't get a kick at the moment at, at, at Norwich so it, it's hard to to as you say without being in, inside the training ground and watching them train every day why that's been the case I think there's maybe been a slight uh, concern over his kind of distribution and and and, mm. and that side of the game that I think David Wagner has has taken the view that maybe they're they're slightly better going with other options or have better options ahead of him, um, and yeah, he's just just not really been been involved, which I think has been a, a shame because there was a lot of excitement, not maybe not excitement, but certainly a lot of um, people who who were pleased that Norwich City were able to to sign a player of that caliber with obviously some really high reviews from from the northeast about what he was capable of doing, but just not worked out. He's out of contract in the summer and it feels probably unlikely that he's going to be at Norwich City beyond the end of this season, really. As I said, it certainly feels like a strange situation not in because even now, Sunderland fans are saying, well, he's not playing. Have why, why did we let him go? And was it the right decision then to let him go given he's not playing? So there's there's plenty of questions from a Sunderland point of view. Just in terms of, has David Wagner sort of said anything on that? Because I know obviously Norwich operate with a sporting director. Does he tend to have much of a say in in the transfers? Yeah, so so again, the situation that unfolded really, they lost Andrew Omovamadeli very, very late on, on, on deadline day um, and, and had to sign a replacement very quickly. So I can imagine the list got whittled down to people who were available in the, in the last few hours and 
Danny Bart, uh, it was Stuart Weber at the time who was sporting director and, and they had a pre-existing relationship from their time together at Wolves. <laughs> so it wasn't necessarily a player that David Wagner would have asked for, know much about. I'm sure he'd have known about Danny Bart and was aware that he was maybe yeah. on a recruitment list somewhere, but maybe wasn't necessarily the first choice or wasn't an option that, that he wanted or maybe even wasn't an option that perhaps once he arrived at the club, maybe was a slightly different player to what he was expecting. Mm-hmm. model is that signings can be made and the head coach cannot have too much of a knowledge yeah. of players that are coming in. Norwich have made a signing this January, someone called Sidney Van Hoydonk, who, you know, you're probably more, more familiar with his dad, Pierre, uh, yeah. who Forest and, 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 and Celtic and whatnot. And they signed him on loan from Bologna after Adam Eder went to Celtic on loan and hasn't really been given a kick yet. Um, obviously, that's that's largely because of what Josh Sargent and Ashley Barnes have done. But Saturday was a good example. They were chasing a game and David Wagner didn't opt to bring him off the bench. So, yeah, I think that there has been a real mystery around why this Danny Bart situation has happened. I think there's there's probably a recognition that when Norwich have all of their centre-backs fit, Ben Gibson, Grant Hanley, Shane Duffy, Danny Bart, he's probably fourth choice in that list, to, to be completely yeah. honest. Um, but there have been opportunities, particularly over the last few weeks alone, for him really to come into this team and he hasn't done it. And that, that probably feels more damning than than anything perhaps David Wagner could say on on him and his situation. Yeah, it certainly is a strange perspective from a Sunderland point of view anyway, looking in. Just obviously coming up to, to the game this weekend, how do you see Norwich approaching the game? Just from a Sunderland point of view, they've tended to struggle against sides that, that sit in, but with Norwich being at home, the onus will obviously be on the Canaries to take the game to Sunderland. But yeah, how, how do you see David Wagner's side approaching this weekend? Yeah, not Norwich, certainly in the last so. uh Watford and, and Cardiff were slightly different games because they were against teams who who have sat in and Norwich are, are pretty similar, actually. They don't like to play teams that set up in a low block and say, go on, then break yeah. us down. I think they've been a little bit better at it in recent weeks because they've kind of suddenly got more options. They've started scoring yeah. a little bit from set pieces, um, but they've they've had kind of options with Sargent now in there to, to get the ball into the box a little bit earlier. So it's a different route kind of to, to, to breaking down sort of low blocks. But... They're better, I think, in, in transition on the counter. So if Sunderland want to come to Cow Road and have the ball, Norwich will be quite happy, I think, to let them do that, knowing that they've got the ability in transition to hurt them. And, and that's actually what they did in, in victories at home recently against Coventry, against West Brom. They they were very much happy to to sit in and, and be that kind of counter-attacking side. And, 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 you know, with the quality of Sargent, of Rowe, as we mentioned previously, but Gabriel Sara and people like this in, in transition, they're happy to play on El Hernandez. They've got pace and power to do that. Um, so I, I think they'll, they'll basically be happy either way at the moment. They're, they're in a good groove at home and there'll be, I think, a bit more of an expectation that they're a little bit more dominant than perhaps they have been at times at home. Um, but yeah, David Wagner is pretty happy to, to mix and match it. So I think they'll, they'll, they'll basically be prepared to, to do whatever Sunderland want them to do, really, and whatever role they, they, they want them to play. They're pretty comfortable. And, you know, as we spoke about earlier, they're in a pretty good rhythm at home. So I think they'll, they'll be feeling pretty confident heading into this one. That's great. Thanks very much for joining me, Connor. Don't forget to head over to We Are Sunland again. Place to be for everything red and white. You can subscribe for just £1 for six months worth of coverage. Yeah, thanks for joining us. Thanks again, Connor. Thanks, mate. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. 
Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.